Hello and welcome to Fireside Filemaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Rashad talking about everything Filemaker. Hello, welcome to Fireside Filemaker, a series of chats with two old Filemaker farts just talking about Filemaker. I'm Michael Rashad. And I'm John Mark Osborne. And we've got lots of things that we agree on and several things that we don't. But today we're going to talk about native FileMaker technology, what it is, why people use it, or why people choose not to use it. So, John, how do you define native FileMaker technology? I define native FileMaker technology as anything that can be done with FileMaker alone. That would exclude things like plugins or JSON, and to some degree, web viewers, because you do a lot of HTML and CSS and other types of coding to make the web viewer work. Right. My definition is slightly different, similar, but different. Um, I regard native FileMaker technology as anything that doesn't require me to learn another language. And I know that, um, you know, JSON, SQL, and WebViewer, these are all supposedly native FileMaker technologies because you can do them from within FileMaker. But all of them require learning that extra language. And to my mind, that's unless you really are programmatically inclined to do all that, it's counterproductive a lot of the time. Yeah, I'd completely agree because if FileMaker can do it just as well, why use another technology to do it? Yeah, you know, there's a, a developer who we both know who loves the web viewers and he's absolutely brilliant at it. But he spends an enormous amount of time writing code in, in web viewers when I think you could do the same thing with native FileMaker coding in a fraction of the time, which begs the question, why bother? Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I'm a FileMaker purist. I'm old school, and I believe you are as well, where we grew up with FileMaker before they had these technologies. And we know FileMaker inside and out. Well, I mean, I learn something new every day, so I shouldn't say I know everything, but we know it pretty well. And we know the the bevy of features that are available and have learned them all and know how to apply them. And I think a lot of developers out there who are new to the platform sometimes come in and don't realize you can do that natively in FileMaker and employ something they're comfortable with from another platform, one of these technologies, and they start using that instead of using the FileMaker way of doing things. Oh, yeah. And in fact, um, I was doing a contract about a year ago, and there was this guy there who had developed this incredibly complex FileMaker system, but he had come from the SQL world. And looking at the code, it was just ridiculous. It was completely unintelligible. It took 10 times longer to do anything. And it was impossible to debug it. Yeah. So I think your point there is that you got speed issues sometimes when you don't do it with native FileMaker. And unless you already know the technology, it can take a long time to learn it. There's a large learning curve. Right. Which leads into the next um, problem is that okay, you've developed a solution because you know that technology. And then for some reason, you've got to hand that project over to somebody or the client has to find somebody new and they've got to find somebody who knows those technologies and is able to pick it up and run with it. 
And they, in most cases, won't even know those technologies are going to be used. So it becomes very difficult for the client to get continuity and continue with what they're doing. Right, because a lot of us are really uh, adopting projects for other developers. And so if we can't initially uh, immediately understand what's going on and there's no need for that technology and there one FileMaker can do it, it makes it very difficult for us to take over that project. It happens all the time. I think another issue is that sometimes that technology changes. So you've connected FileMaker out to all these different technologies, it changes, it could possibly break FileMaker and break that solution because now the technologies don't communicate with each other anymore. Just because there was an operating system issue that makes an incompatibility, maybe FileMaker is not up to date with the latest version of JSON, who knows what might cause that problem. And if it's all done with FileMaker alone, then you don't have to worry about that because FileMaker is not going to break, it, break its own technology. And you also want to mention the fact that if a company goes out of business, this is more likely with plugins, it's possible that all of a sudden that won't work and you won't have that functionality. You have to find another plugin if there is one. And I'm not saying I don't use plugins. I love plugins. But sometimes people use plugins instead of learning how to do it within FileMaker alone. Right. And that's definitely a big point. It's going back to your, you know, the comment you made about, you know, taking over somebody else's project, which is a very common thing for a lot of different reasons. And when you have a project that is really, that's a big project, you've still got to spend a fair amount of time looking under the hood and figuring out what the users, what the developer was thinking and how they're working, because you've got to come to grips with that first. But then if you see, um, a lot of complicated stuff, and I'm talking about JSON and APIs and stuff like that. The question is, do you go back to the client and say, yeah, no, I don't think I want to touch this? Or do you say, look, this is an incredibly complex way of doing things. It will cost you less for me to rewrite it from scratch. I tell clients that all the time, that it will cost them less for me to rewrite it from scratch. It's not always because of non-native FileMaker technology. Sometimes people program, you know, because they don't know about how a particular feature works in FileMaker, because that's a common thing as well. And I will tell them all the time, look, it's going to be much cheaper for me to reprogram this to try to fix what's going on. Absolutely. And I'm, I do the same. What I also find very interesting is people want you to they finally decide they want to upgrade to the latest, greatest version, and they're on seven versions back. And they think it's just a matter of, they think it's a good idea to just convert it. And I say, it's not, because you're not taking advantage of all the enhancements and new features and new functionality. You're putting a Ferrari shell on a Model T Ford. It'll look great, but it's going to drive like crap. <laughs> Absolutely. It made me chuckle there a little bit. <laughs> Good analogy. And, and I couldn't agree more with that because people don't realize how technology changes. And sometimes you have to go in and start from scratch again. Yeah. In, in those cases, what I do is I say, we'll, we'll use the original solution as a roadmap because that will tell us the functionality you need. 
Now all we have to do is recreate that functionality, but do it in an optimized way and make it work better. And so it's up to date at this point. Now that's where we may disagree on something. And but let me uh, make my point um, and talk about how we look at it. And maybe what you're trying to say as well, Michael. But I don't build solutions based off of pictures and other solutions. Maybe they bring me an access solution. They say build me this. I still have to create a requirements document because. I can't look at a solution and know every feature that's in there and assume that you're going to want this feature in there. I need to build a requirements document which details everything that needs to be in there. Agreed. But having having said that, John, I still think you can um, get a a good feel for what the client wants by looking at that solution and also having them do a screen sharing session and having them show you what they're doing and how they're doing it. So there is definitely some value from the old solution, but you're right. The requirements need to be specified because what their solution did then may not be what it needs to be done now. So it could be that they've just been bumbling along with something that really doesn't work for them anyway. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with the with the roadmap. And that's why I started off saying, hey, you, I may be just, you know, clarifying what you're saying, because I think you're absolutely right about having the client show you how it works, because that can really give you a better idea. And then getting it down on, in paper will help that information, the requirements document really make more sense because you've actually seen it in action. Yep. And then the other thing is that um, and we're getting slightly off the topic of native functionality, but since we're talking about developing developing projects, it's been my experience that clients very rarely know what they need because they don't know what's possible. I couldn't agree more. And one of the things that um, you know that causes project creep is you 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 have a project and you build something and you show it to the client and they look at you like they're shocked and they go, well, I didn't know that was possible. And then they say, well, if that's possible, why can't we do that? And there's the difficulty in, you know, keeping that project under control so that it doesn't spiral into this project creep from hell where everybody gets upset at the end of the end of the project. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think one of the jobs of a developer is to not say yes all the time. And sometimes you have to say no and tell them why and educate them on how FileMaker works. You don't just take exactly what they say and do it. You work with them and you develop something that's probably a combination of what they visioned and what FileMaker can actually do and how it best does it. Right. Well, I've, I have a very similar philosophy when I'm talking to a client. I say, tell me whatever you want. You can ask me anything. And if it's reasonable request, I'll do it without hesitation. I might question it to get, get the details, but it's not a problem. But if it's an unreasonable request, and by that I mean something that is not going to be conducive to good coding, then I'm going to say, this is a bad idea, and here's why but I'm now gonna give you an alternative that will work. 
So we become um, much more than uh, just a developer. We really are a consultant to their business because we're marrying our knowledge of technology with their expectations and their business to create something that will work for them optimally. I agree. I couldn't agree more. And I think one a good example of this is the dashboard. It's one of those things that are out there that everybody wants a dashboard because if I have a dashboard, my solution will be better. And what I find out is that what they mostly want is an automated find that goes to a list view and shows you everything you found, or maybe they need some kind of report that just goes into preview and allows them to print or create a PDF out of it. But a dashboard is a whole other thing. It can be quite expensive to get some of these dashboards running the way they envision them. And most people don't need live information like you would see in a dashboard. That's really for somebody who needs that kind of maybe sales information that's always populating all the time in a, a screen inside their break room or whatever so people can see what's going on. But if you just want to know how your business is doing on a daily basis, a dashboard really generally isn't the best idea. Thank God somebody has actually feels the same way as I do about them because I actually can't see any point in them whatsoever. Uh, it, the amount, it's one of these things. It's another of these this is can be done, but just because it can be done doesn't mean to say you should do it. And you know, our job as developers is to tell the client this is a really bad idea. Sorry. And the problem is sometimes people don't like you to tell them not to do stuff. They've got this buzzword in their head and they're going, I have to have it, you know, I've got to have this thing. It's that that kind of have mentality of the Western world. And you know, sometimes you just have to work on somebody and, and, and help them to understand and pull them along to that point where they go, okay, you're right. I don't need a dashboard. I don't need this. I'm going to get just as much as, as I would out of this feature. In fact, sometimes more, and it'll be faster and it'll cost me less and things like that. Yeah, I think it's a question that, and you're, what you said earlier, we really have to, all of us developers really have to question the client almost to a point of interrogation to make sure that we're all on the same page because expectations um, differ greatly because they've seen something or been told something. And that's the biggest problem a lot of the time is they've been told something isn't possible or it can't be done or it has to be done this way. And because the person telling them had the loudest voice in the room, they've listened and now you've got to convince them that they've been getting bad information, which is very common. Now, I think it does help when you have an English accent. People accept what you say more because it's more pleasant than a, you know, a neutral California accent. What do you think? <laughs> well, I definitely have an English accent and, uh, and I'm not planning on losing it uh, anytime soon. But there's no doubt it, it gives me a certain amount of credibility that, uh, or more credibility because of the way I sound. But I also speak very clearly because I make a great effort to be clear. And I've heard lots of people of different nationalities who can't, they're basically unintelligible no matter what language they're speaking. And it doesn't matter how talented they are, if they can't convey their message 
in a way that people want to accept. It has to be a, a nice message. It has to be the right message. It has to be clear. Yep. Yep. And I also find that um, when I'm in a meeting with people, I tend not to be very straight-laced. I tend to be very informal and casual and a bit flippant on occasions when I don't feel it's going to be offen offensive. But um, sometimes you um, also need to say something that is literally out of left field because you want the client to go, what did he just say? I want them to sort of interrupt their thought pattern just to figure out that I've said something that they don't understand and then use that to move the conversation forward. And I've done that a lot of times. Yeah, and I think you made a good point there. Sometimes the client doesn't understand, and sometimes they'll just ignore the fact that they didn't understand it. And it's your job to understand that that's occurred and try to further get that information out of them or explain that point to them so they really understand because they may be avoiding something that's really important. Right. Avoiding or overlooking, and that's also a big issue. You know, you and I, from our experience, know the power of, of data that's being collected. And again, we're getting off the topic of this conversation, but so many businesses that I see spend enormous amounts of money capturing data that they never, ever look at. And if they analyze that data, they will have a better insight into what their business is doing and where it's going. And in some cases, it'll tell them they're in the wrong business. Absolutely. I mean, people don't fully utilize the power of a database sometimes. I mean, they get the idea that it's going to tell them about how their business is working, but they don't always use it. Sometimes they blindly put information in there. Or sometimes I think it's just like a spreadsheet and they're just using it so multiple people can enter data. And it's your job as a developer to make sure they understand what it can do to help them get there. Absolutely. Many years ago, I didn't tell you the story, so I'll tell it to you now, but I ran a very big art gallery in Las Vegas. And um, it was, this was in the early 90s. The gallery was five and a half thousand square feet. And our rent, our base rent was $27,000 a month. Wow. Against 7% of our turnover. So we had a very big nut that we had to crack every month. And I wrote this Farmaker Solution to manage the gallery. And there were two things that we did that were incredible in their ability to make the business run better. And the first thing was we knew exactly based on the base rate, how much every single square foot was costing us. And we tracked the amount of square footage that every artist was taking up, and we had over 100 artists. And we tracked the sales of the artists against the cost of the space plus the money that we had to pay the artist. And if they weren't returning, if we weren't getting a three times investment return on our investment after a three-month initial period, that artist was gone, just gone, because we couldn't afford to keep them displayed. The other thing that we did 
which was even weirder and very strange, is that we recorded every single sale and we recorded the exact time of day that sale took place. And after three months, I ran a report to analyze those sales to see if there was an optimum time that we would have the best, most sales. And we ended up finding out that Wednesdays between 3.30 and 5.30 in the afternoon was our optimum sales period consistently week after week, month after month. Not every single one, but enough to be reliable. So what I did was I brought the early people in or had the early people stay an extra hour because they would normally go home at 4.30. So I had them stay until 5.30. I had the late people who normally came in at 4.30 come in at 3.30. And I doubled the bases for that two-hour window and paid the overtime and everything. And it consistently made us money. And we would never have come to that conclusion until we'd looked at the data. And even then, we didn't understand why. We never understood why. It just was. Now, let me ask you a question about that. Did you find out when you increased the number of salespeople at that time period that actually increased the number of sales also? Yes, dramatically. And we were dealing with literally hundreds of people coming through the door every single hour. So it wasn't the question we didn't have enough traffic to you know, justify having the extra people. We had lots of traffic and we could have as many people on the sales floor as, as we had room for. But it was the fact that that was just a target rich environment. And as I said, we never understood why. But that's the power of data. Absolutely. It's, an, it's a great story. And you know, I don't know if I have one to, to one up that. I, <laughs> I'm going to have to just stay quiet on that. <laughs> oh, I'm not trying to one up you, John. Oh, no, no, you didn't have to. You started off strong. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent story. Um, and let's see if we can get back to our native FileMaker thing. And let's talk about technologies that you would consider non-native. Um, I started off, I think we mentioned web viewer, JSON, plugins, any other ones you want to add to that? Well, SQL is obviously on that list, but I'll, the caveat is that FileMaker has, as you know, the SQL function, which I've just started to use and I'm finding it very, very useful. Now, do I know SQL? No. Do I use SQL? Yes, because SQL is really a FileMaker function that just has specific syntax. And many of the functions in FileMaker have syntaxes similar or as complex. So we have to learn those functions to be able to use them. So in this particular case, I regard SQL as native FileMaker because it's a FileMaker function. Learning pure SQL, that's a different thing. When I think execute SQL depends on how far you take it. So you don't have to know a lot about SQL to utilize execute SQL to get a job done that it's designed to do. Why FileMaker put it into the you know bevy of features that they have. Why did they add it? Well, they added this feature to reduce relationship clutter because developers 
we're creating relationships for one job. Like you might have one script that needs to look at another table, or you might uh, need to have one calculation that looks over a special relationship. When you can get that same thing done in Execute SQL, because it doesn't care about context, it doesn't care about relate. It can just go look at a table, find what you're looking for, bring you back the result, and it may just be one value that brings back to you. And when it does that and reduces that clutter inside the relationship graph, then all of a sudden it's easier to read the relationship graph. And they've done this over and over the last 10 years. Conditional formatting, hide object, placeholder text. Um, what else is there? Portal filters. These were all features in response to developers doing things inside managed database that they wanted to get out of there. They didn't need to be schema level necessarily. They wanted to have a feature that was just for that particular type of job. So execute SQL is great, but don't overuse it, is what I'm saying. Don't take it so far that you're using it as a crutch. You don't want it to be your one-trick pony kind of situation. You don't want to use execute SQL where it's not supposed to be used. And where it's supposed to be used is simple situations. If you have a relationship already, that you, know, you have a portal and you have a script that's based on the relation, you're using that relationship, use a relationship, don't use ex execute SQL. If you have one small little job and it, and it declutters your relationship graph, you've analyzed it, it's a great time to use execute SQL. Yeah, that's a very good point and I'm totally agreeing with you. I've found very few examples or places where it is useful, but when it is useful, it's incredibly useful. Now, I think the web viewer falls into the same category. You can do a lot of stuff by programming the web viewer. That doesn't mean it's necessarily all non-native. I mean, it is, but it isn't. It's like if you want to get a map, you can pass in very easily with not knowing a lot of FileMaker or, or, or non-native technology. You don't have to know HTML. You don't really have to know you know, CSS or any of those, you know, acronyms to get the web viewer to do some simple things. We're talking about when the web viewer has been programmed for hours to do something that can fairly easily be done in FileMaker. And this is where it makes absolutely no sense to me because it comes down to time and money. You know, we all have to value our time. If you're charging the client for the time that it takes you to program a web viewer in the way that we've just discussed, you're overcharging them for something they shouldn't be paying for. Now, if the developer says, yeah, well, I, okay, well, I can't build this to the client, but I'm just gonna do it on my own time, then the, the developer is squandering billable time and he's wasting it. And it also comes back down to, if that developer drops off the face of the earth, Who's going to debug and fix that web viewer when it doesn't work the way they want it to? It reminds, reminds me of a story that I took a solution of mine to another developer to use a technology on it that I don't understand. Because I try to do everything in FileMaker, and I know when I don't know any technology, I should get somebody else to do it. And there was a valid reason to do it. And somehow we got on the discussion about how long it took to do something, this database. And they were flabbergasted at how little money I charged the client. And that's because I adhered to your principle, which is it's about time and money. And I, you shouldn't charge the client 
for stuff that you can do quicker. It's about knowing FileMaker and what it can do and not employing external technologies to get something done that can be done with FileMaker and more easily in most of the cases. Well, it's not only most more easily, it's incredibly much faster. I mean, I've never come across any environment that's as fast as FileMaker that allows you to do a lot very, very quickly. And sometimes, uh, you know, it's staggering how much we get done in an hour. It really is. Yeah, I think a lot of developers come in from other platforms. They've been web developers or who knows where they've been working with technology. And they come in and they don't try to understand how FileMaker works. It's been around, I think, I believe it's 30 years. I know Claris or FileMaker Incorporated is celebrated their 30th anniversary. But I believe FileMaker came in pretty close to that. So it's pretty close to 30 years old. They put a lot of time and thought in making it easy to do stuff in FileMaker. Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing on the market that even comes remotely close. Just nothing. I mean, it, FileMaker is a RAID, which, as you know, is Rapid Application Development Environment. And I swear that there isn't a faster RAID on the planet. There really isn't. We can, as developers in FileMaker, can you know, run circles around developers on any other platform. The limitation is really whether FileMaker is the best choice. It's you know, good for small and medium jobs. Now, that doesn't mean it shouldn't be a big, giant organizations because big organizations have small and medium jobs. And it, if you take a look at the Fortune 100 companies, every single one of them has a site license for FileMaker. That's because they know. In fact, I've taught classes. I've had about a dozen Oracle people, employees, inside my classes learning FileMaker because they understand that sometimes you need a sludge hammer like Oracle and sometimes you need a regular, you know, claw hammer that would be FileMaker. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, it is incredible um, what we've been able to accomplish with the tool. And going back to the to when I started, which was 1987, what year did you start using FileMaker, John? Wow, that was uh, when I started working for Claris. I graduated from college in 89, probably 91, probably. Hmm. So by that time, I'd already been using it for four years and was really, really comfortable. Almost from the very first day that I came across FileMaker and started playing with it, I just felt uh, this affinity with it. I don't I can't explain it. It was like falling in love. It just was the tool I could use and I could see it being able to do everything I wanted to do and many, much, much more. But And that hasn't changed over the years. What has changed, or rather, it hasn't changed over the years, but the ability to use the creative side of our mind and come up with solutions that in other development platforms just wouldn't be possible because they don't allow the flexibility that FileMaker offers. I mean, we used to have all of these workarounds and a lot of them have been eliminated as FileMaker has improved over the years, but we still end up thinking outside the box to solve problems on a daily basis. Yeah, the first version of FileMaker I had to support at Claris was FileMaker Roman numeral two, not FileMaker Pro 2.0. And 
that product is so similar to what we have today. I mean, the original developers, which it wasn't Claris, it wasn't FileMaker developed it. It was these guys, this, I forget their names, Spec Bowers was one, there's some other guys. And they developed this FileMaker. And, and I think that Claris and FileMaker Incorporated have done a good job of making FileMaker more sophisticated, but keeping that core vision there. Because you look at FileMaker 2, yeah, it's incredibly different, but there, it still adheres to all the principles of what they were talking about when they developed it. They wanted something that was easy, that you didn't have to have command line code, that you could, you know, that the, the creative person, as you said, can go in there and be a developer. Yeah, definitely. And I think perhaps that's why after, I've been doing this, for, this is my 30, 30, 33rd year of developing FileMaker. I think that's why I'm still in love with it. And I still enjoy developing with it. And every single week, as you say, you find a new way of doing something. And that's phenomenal. Yeah. If you don't think that you can learn something new every day with FileMaker, both of us can attest that we learn something every day. Maybe small, but we learn something every day. And if you do that and you set that so yourself up for that to go, okay, I'm going to make sure I learn something new every day. It may be when I'm developing or maybe I Google something in the morning every day I come in to, to try to find something about FileMaker or read a blog article. All of a sudden you'll realize that native FileMaker features often, I would say in 99% of the cases, handle everything that you need to do. You don't need other technologies and you're often better off not using this technologies because of your point about speed. My point about the technology breaks either because the, it changes or the company goes out of business. These are important points to think if you want your solution to last and not to have unhappy clients because their solution's slow or it's not working. Native FileMaker is the way you should always try to go first if uh, at all possible. So why are we seemingly in the minority with this viewpoint, John? Wow. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on that one. I don't see why we should be. I think, I think if, you know, just right off the top of my head, I, I think it would probably be because developers are coming in to the FileMaker world and they haven't been there along for the ride that we've been. We've been there since, you know, FileMaker started. So we know the principles of FileMaker. And some of these young developers are brilliant. Let me tell you, they're smart. Um, I can't say I'm as smart as them, but I know FileMaker really well. I've studied it. I don't do anything but FileMaker. And that gives us a different perspective on how to program FileMaker. Yeah, that's definitely a big part of it. It's that overarching perspective, and I think that's a fantastic way of describing it. It's like you don't have to look at the the map to understand it. You you just look at it and know where you are and where you're going. And we do that with FileMaker. I think that's a fantastic analogy uh, that uh, because I'm directionally challenged that make, but makes sense to me that if you're, you know, I, I grew up north uh, near FileMaker headquarters and I now live down south in California. And I don't know where I'm going anywhere. I, if I go back up to Northern California, even though I haven't lived there for 20 years, I know where I'm going. I can go anywhere I want. And it's that familiarity with where you're at that 
allows you to make decisions without thinking. I just drive down the road. Oh, yeah, I'm, you know, just, I don't even really think about where I'm going. No, and that's, that's very, it's very apropos because it really is, for me, FileMaker has always been this instinctive tool that, that sort of is an extension of my, my brain and my thought processes, which are kind of weird anyway. But I've always been able to think just way outside the box. And, and I have no explanation as to why I have that ability. It's just something that I have. So, but FileMaker allows me to not only think outside that box, but to, once I've got to the conclusion, it allows me to fill it and get to where I want to get to, even though if you looked at it from an outside perspective, you might go, well, how the hell did he get there? It works. It just allows you to do that. And that's why it's such an incredible tool. And hats off to FileMaker International for continuing to make it better and better when so many of the competition has just come, imploded, and gone. Yeah, I think it comes down to, you know, kind of me uh, expanding on your thought here. It comes down to you don't have to compile FileMaker. So us creative people can go into layout mode, takes us one second, put an object there, however long you however you know long it takes to do that, you know, program some stuff, come back into browse mode and go, hey, does that work? Oh, it doesn't work. Okay, let me try something else. And this is what I do a lot. I sit there and I fiddle around and I tell people you got to fiddle around. FileMaker is really good at letting you figure things out. Whereas if you had some other kind of technology, you might have to compile the code or you might have to put it on a server or something like that to really see if it's working. So that to me is one of the big powers of FileMaker, why you don't want to use non-native technologies because FileMaker allows you to be creative and you can get things done. And sometimes, yeah, maybe you could have done something, a, you know, a little bit more sophisticated in a, a non-native or a, a non-native technology, but is it worth it? Did it take you three times as long? Is it going to possibly break? We can do it in FileMaker and we know it's not going to break. FileMaker is not going to make functionality break. I mean, lookup still work. I mean, amazing. It's legacy code. So I think there's some important points that, developers need to understand is it's about FileMaker first, and then it's about non-native technologies. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, a number of years ago, my friend Mark Lewis, who lives in New Zealand, was visiting me in Vegas, and he had his software company at the time, MacLine in England, and he wanted to do something on FileMaker, and I can't remember what it was, but we were sitting at the table, and he was telling me what he was trying to do and I was doing my FileMaker thing. And I've been, we've been doing this for about two hours. And I, I turned to him and I said, Mark, I'm sorry, but I just feel like I'm dragging today. It feels like I'm going through molasses. I just, I can't, we need to stop. And he says, Mike, your hands are moving so fast. I can't even follow them. And I'm look, I looked at him like, are you serious? And he said, yeah. And the point of this story is that you and I and other experienced developers, we work at a speed that is incomprehensible to somebody who doesn't understand and have that level of expertise 
in this particular platform. Yeah, I do the same thing. In fact, I've, I do what's called meta consulting a lot where I allow people to watch what I'm doing. And they often have to slow me down and say, whoa, what did you just do? It took you like two seconds. I didn't even see your mouse move. So I get what you're talking about. It's funny when that happens. It really is. So I think uh, we're probably at the time when we can probably wrap up and, and give our final thoughts. And I think it's pretty clear uh, the way we both feel. I know other developers will differ in the way they feel. Uh, you know, there's opinions everywhere. But we're here to talk about FileMaker, and we love FileMaker. We think it's the greatest tool in the world, and we think other people should use FileMaker functionality first whenever possible. What's your thoughts? Yeah. Oh, I absolutely agree. If you can't do it in FileMaker, then maybe you shouldn't be doing it at all. And of course, there are exceptions. There are times when you do want to go out, um, and I'm... I do the same as you. If I need to have expertise in an API, I need an API written, I hire somebody who's really good at that because I don't want to learn it. I don't have the time or the interest in learning it. And I'm going to use it so infrequently, it doesn't make sense for me to take all that time to learn it. So I absolutely try and always do everything native FileMaker. And I use plugins occasionally. I use SQL occasionally. I'm 99.9% .9 native FileMaker all the time. It's funny. I want to, I want to mention something you just, or, or expand on something that you just mentioned. I, I have like a, a sticky, a yellow sticky of, of notes here, kind of the things on points I want to make. We don't read off of any cue cards here, but it's funny. I wrote one thing down and it's almost exactly what you just said. It's like, it's like half the sticky note. And it says, if it can't be done with FileMaker, is it worth doing? So it's funny how you and we joke a lot, how we think alike and how we came together. We talked one time on the phone and all of a sudden we're like, wow, we're like, we're like, you know, brothers that were, that were separated at birth or something, you know, who know, how do we get to think so alike? And, and that's why we started this, this fireside FileMaker chat, because you know, we, we can disagree sometimes, of course, but a lot of times we're thinking the same way and, and, it, and, it, and we can say it in different ways and really get across our point because there's a lot of different viewpoints in FileMaker, but we want to get the viewpoint that FileMaker is a good tool without these external technologies. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we don't have to, unfortunately, the world generally, and this is going off topic, but the world generally has become... Um, Disagreement and discussion. Disagreement is common, and discussion about disagreements is very infrequent because nobody wants to hear an opposing point of view. I always want to hear the opposing point of view and and discuss it and think about it because I may have the wrong information. You may have things that I've never thought of, and vice versa. And by sharing ideas and discussing them without any sort of ramifications or resentment about oh, well, you're such and such, and I'm this way. Um, we just, you get further on in life, and, you know, agreements and disagreements are fine, but as long as you can agree to understand and be aware of other points of view and be open to that, it can only be good for everybody. Yeah, and you may change your mind, right? Absolutely, and I've done it <laughs> frequently. 
I don't think we're going to change our mind about external technologies, though. No, no, I think you and I are in 100% agreement with that. And all of those who people who are listening to this, we would love to hear your comments on what you think. Um, send us an email. We'll put an email at the bottom of this, at the end of this podcast. And just tell us what you think. And because we really would like to hear from other people. And uh, if you make some good points, maybe we'll invite you on for a next session of Fireside Farmmaker. Sounds like a good idea to me. So it's been great first podcast session. Thanks. And we'll see you next time. Sounds great. Thanks, John. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Fireside Farmaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Richard. We'd love to hear what you think. So please email us at info at firesidefarmaker.com. That's info at firesidefarmaker.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.